Today on the Zabecast, a 20-year itch is finally scratched, and who better to talk about it with than Andy Poland, who has lived through this long stretch of misery with me. The NFL is about to radically alter the kickoff. Well, I've got some ideas about making the game safer that would make a hell of a lot more sense. we got fancy sweatpants, Johnny Depp's missing money, and a requiem for a Twitter account that was brutally murdered last night. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up. And let's go! Here we go! A folk check away, and now the counter. Here come the Caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. Evgeny coming down the middle. A shot, and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round! The Demons have... Exercised. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Pittsburgh. We're going to Tampa Bay. What a win, what a win, what a win. Evgeny Kuznetsov in overtime. Kuzi with the semi-breakaway goal. Caps radio play-by-play voice John Walton with the call. The Capitals close in gritty, gutty fashion. Something our teams almost rarely, if ever, do no Tom Wilson due to suspension no Nick Backstrom due to an injury no problem the Capitals find a way and get it done pinch me just pinch me I can't believe this is real and of course for our breaking team coverage here on the Zabecast we go live to the guest line joining us now on the Levitz Furniture guest hotline Andy (laughs) Poland the Capitals have won the Capitals have won so, when is the parade for the Cup? Oh, here we go. I knew you'd be that guy. I knew you'd well, be the where's the parade guy. Just like your old man. Or not your old man, your old cousin. Where's the cake? Where's the cake? Bring out no, the, bring the cake. cake yeah. <laughs> Yo, he wanted to bring out the cake for two All-Stars, which he said was three, when it was really only two. Right. But here, here would be the point. And look, the, you're right. It's, it's a great celebration it's not just that they advanced to the finals of the East, but it's who they beat to get to the finals of the East. They exercised the demons of a team which has destroyed them for 25, 35 years, whatever it is. Uh, that's all great. But I was thinking about this as I was driving in this morning and listening to the two sports stations. Do you think in Boston, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Dallas, any of the big cities that it's a grand celebration to get to the final four, but that's where we are because of the lack of success. Now your radio station is celebrating 26 years of all sports radio this month, right? Uh, we're, we're not celebrating it, Andy. Well, you're marking it. Okay. <laughs> well, we're not even marking it. We're just well, you're, trying to you're keep... noting that in this month of 1992 sports radio started. No, I, this is I, only I acknowledge... the second time right. that a team has advanced to the final four in a professional sport. <laughs> and if you look at it, the entirety of it as well with all sports, only once in the 26 year history of that radio station, has there been a celebration of a championship? And that was Maryland winning in 2002. Now it was incredible when George Mason made the final four in 2006. It was great when Georgetown made the final four a year later, but the state of our sports is this is the closest we've had to a championship feel in a quarter of a century. Oh, I know. I know it is. And so when you ask the question, what are the, what would they be doing in other cities? 
It's almost an irrelevant question because we're not other cities. We are who we are. We own our history. And by the way, uh, the station I don't think even knows that this is the 26th (laughs) birthday of going on the air. Uh, What what uh, what day was it that you guys went on the air 26 years ago? May 25th, 1992. May 25th. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So yeah, I do understand what you're feeling that, and I'm feeling it too. That there is now a premature banner being raised in all of our heads that, yay, we just made the conference finals, and if they get knocked out in five to a very good Tampa Bay Lightning team, then what? Then it's just yeah. we're right back to where we were, and the coach is probably leaving. Yeah, do, do you feel good if they get out in five against Tampa that you'll look back and say, wow, no. what an incredible season the Capitals had? No, no, I, I will no. not feel that way, but... I'm not going to think about that right now. I'm going to bask in the moment for right now. And also, when it comes to so-called exercising the demons, Mm -hmm. you could argue this is just that time we beat Pittsburgh once. Right. Right? That this is not... Like, what what does exercising the demons mean in sports? Beating somebody once? So if, if you see a Penguins fan today and you go, yeah, yeah, we won... He's likely to say, I can't hear you because I have rings in my ears. Five of them, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. I can't even. Someone said, because we had Mark Madden on from uh, 105.9. Oh, I know X. him. That's the guy that lost his job by uh, saying that he wished Ted Kennedy would get shot. I don't recall that specifically, yeah. Andy, but that's possible. Mark is doing well. I like him. I like his style. He's a trash talker. He's got a bit of a wrestling background, so to I speak. Know. But, uh, you know, we had him on before the series, and someone said, I want you to get Mark Madden back on, and I want you to tell him, you know, what happened. And I'm thinking to myself, so I'm going to talk shit about we beat you once again nine <laughs> years later. Like, right. twice now in 11 tries. Yes, we have beaten you. I can't talk shit that way, Andy. I can't. No, no. The last win against Pittsburgh in the playoffs was 1994. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very satisfying. It's very glorious. I thought last night the Penguins looked so bad, so disorganized, and yet they still almost won that game. And then who knows what would have happened in the game seven. Well, yeah. And, it, you know, the, the dreaded overtime and then the dreaded possibility of game seven if Pittsburgh had scored – but it, it did look like in overtime that the Capitals were very composed. And look at the winning play. I mean, think of, the, think of how that looks in the history of the team, that Ovechkin is the figurehead of this era. But Kuznetsov is the new money, the new Russian. Yeah. And, and Ovi to Kuznetsov for the game winner. And Kuznetsov, you know, I'm not a hockey expert, but in listening to the analysts, up until that point, really hadn't been a great contributor. No, but in he- the moment... Yeah. He was there. And he had the worst corporal up a moment that I've seen in a long time. He had a puck right at the doorstep of the net. And yeah. instead of shooting it, he then does some weird dangle and decides, let me go behind the net for a second, as Matt Murray is just, you know, sprawled out in front, out of position, yeah. out of balance. And I'm like, what are you doing? But Koozie's yeah. sweet. And that play that won it, it looked innocent at first, but just a half a step. A little bit of speed and a great finishing touch. And next thing you know, good night now, Pittsburgh. Just like your favorite play-by-play man, John Walton. 
Good morning, <laughs> good afternoon, and good night, Pittsburgh. Now, I, I've, I've never really met John Walton. I'm sure he's a fine fellow. But you hate that but, call. You you hate that signature call, don't you? Well, look, it, 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 when, when you have a great moment like last night, you should be able to take it to another level. But he's already taken his calls to the, such a high level that there is no other level to take it to. So that one didn't really stand out among the other big game-winning calls that he's had. But so you know, you're saying because, because he will do that on a Tuesday night in the middle of February when the Capitals are playing Buffalo? Yeah, yeah you, should have, you should have a gear that you shift into only in those kind of moments. Well, also, but I mean, I don't know. It's a tough thing because a, a lot of broadcasters have their signature. Yeah. At the same time, you're stamping every great moment mm-hmm. with the same thing. Right. So right. here was a unique moment in Capitals history that once again got stamped with his traditional good morning, good afternoon, and good night call. So you could argue that, you know what, maybe something different. But that said, yeah, yeah. yeah that said, uh, it was a hell of a moment last night. So we're all oh, happy. It was. Look, t- make no mistake. How many years have we sat here and said, okay, this is the time it happens? <laughs> and, and, you know, I was watching with my wife, and when the goal was scored, it really took about 10 seconds for it to sink in because you, you're, you're so bracing yourself for crushing disappointment because it's happened so many times. They go, wait, you mean it's over now? That's it? It's yeah. done? They move on? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Was I was watching the uh, compilation of all the uh, game-winning overtime series-clinching goals in Caps history, starting with Dale Hunter in 1988 at the old uh, Caps Center against Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to John Drews in 1990, Brian Bellows, Joey Juno, Joel Ward in 2012, uh, Marcus Johansson last year, and then Kuzi this year. While watching all the highlights, Andy, I remembered the unfortunate teal and black era of the <laughs> uniforms with the stupid Eagle logo on the front. Yeah, you know, I, I never liked that when they went to it, and... You know, the Wizards had a similar color scheme when they turned from Bullets to Wizards. Right. And um, it just, yeah, that era just never really worked out. Why did did Ted go? Because it was Ted that changed the uniform color, correct? No, it actually was not. Oh, it wasn't? Um, Okay. Yeah, it was done done before Ted. I think it was done during the David Poyle era. And um, I'm not sure why. I mean, that was like, you know, that was like a bad period, like in my era of the leisure suit. You know, when people looked at themselves and they just said, that's a good right. idea. Like everybody, I think Charlotte was one of the early teams to do it. Well, Charlotte, um, yeah, Charlotte had teal, and teal yeah. became like the hot new color in right. sports. Like nobody had been teal before Charlotte, and then everyone was like working it in or working some variant because the Capitals weren't teal, but they were like an offshoot of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the name of the team is the Capitals, Capitals of the United States of America. Seemingly, you couldn't have any other colors but red, white, and blue, yet they chose teal and black. Yeah, and when it was more like a blue, but whatever. Okay, yeah. enough of that. Do you believe that there is a D.C. sports curse? And if so, has the curse now been, quote, lifted? Here's what I talked about with Tom Levero last weekend. See if you buy this. The goal on Sunday that should have been a goal by Pittsburgh – and was not a goal, yeah. could be considered the turning point in the luck 
that finally something went their way. This is back and in game they, back in game two. The the one yeah, with the ice yeah, shavings. On the, the the parallax goal, as we will note it in history. Right, right. That's the one that, that people will look back on. So you think that might, think that might be the one that turns the tide? Yeah, it's like, you know, of all the bad luck things that have happened in D.C. sports over the years, that's the one where it should have gone against the Caps because it would have cut the lead to one. And with their history of choking and everything else that has gone into them over the years, uh, to see that happen and the goal lead cut to one, you knew it was going to yeah. happen. They were going to choke that away. Have you talked? They about, didn't. Didn't we talk once about what might have caused the curse? I traced it back to Jack Kent Cook's Brazilian wife being arrested for drunk driving <laughs> in downtown Georgetown, where either yeah. she was on the hood of a car or another guy was on the hood of her car. It was something crazy. Well, yeah, but I mean, they were at that point. That was like '96, maybe. It was only like a year before he died. Yeah, and that's we about were already the, in the. We were already in the throes of suck in '96. Yeah, I mean, this was this was the Norv Turner rebuild era. Uh, this was this might have been. Well, I guess it was it was before, but Gus banging his head into the wall. Okay. I mean, you know, think things of, of of complete embarrassment that have happened to the teams over the years. And yeah, I mean that that could be it, but. You know, I, I just think of sports radio back to where we started, that that 980 or what then 570 started literally months after the Redskins won the Super Bowl. And we've walked in the desert since then. Yeah. Here's the weirdest thing. So after this, after the goal went in last night, my phone mm-hmm. starts blowing up and I'm getting congratulations, Andy, from all my friends all over the place. And I'm laughing, thinking, why are you saying congratulations? I didn't do shit to make this happen. Isn't that a weird phenomenon in sports? You congratulate your friends because their team well, did something good? Well, I mean, they, they know what are your friends from Milwaukee where yes. they've had the Packers win the Super Bowl. Um, people from other areas, right, but they the point know is, that, that the, you don't celebrate these things very often. Right, but the point is they actually say congratulations. And maybe it's you haranguing me all the years about wearing a jersey. By saying, yeah. oh, I didn't see you out there, or the lecturing <laughs> about the we, 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 that yeah. I felt sensitive that I was getting congratulations. I started replying back to my friends like, yeah, I was pretty big in the series, to be honest with you. <laughs> so so as you approach this milestone birthday, you've become more curmudgeonly like uh, your longtime partner? Yeah, not curmudgeonly. I just sort of have noted the irony of people congratulating me for winning yeah. a series in which all I did was sit on my fat ass, yeah. eating nachos and slurping Diet Cokes. It's kind of ironic. By the way, yeah. Uncle Ted, Ted Leonsis, made himself available in the locker room to the media last night. How about oh, he did. App- Apparently he did. How about them apples, huh? Well, um, there is some precedent for this. Uh, I was working for a one-year network called Sports News Network, not for the 98 team that went to the finals, but the 1990 team that got swept by Boston this in the was, Eastern Finals. This was the constant looping 30-minute sports highlight show based out of New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was actually living in New York at the time, so I was sort of a New York reporter for them. I covered a lot of Mets and Yankees games, and, and I don't know hockey, but I was covering the Capitals and the Rangers in that series. And they beat the Rangers, uh, the press area where I was sitting was right in front of the blue seats and man you should have heard the language coming out of there <laughs> but that was uh, that was John Drews in front of the net remember that that, that 1990 series that, 
John Drews. Yeah. Yes. And, and and this was a very unusual year in that the season started with Brian Murray as the head coach, and the season ended with Terry Murray as the head coach. Yeah, we went through, remember that. went through multiple Murrays that year. And yes, for those yeah. listening, they are brothers. Yeah, they're brothers. And, and I think Terry was in the minors, so he got basically called up to replace his brother. And uh, Abe was, was in the locker room at the time, huh. and he, he gave me a big hug. And, you know, I asked him some congratulatory questions, and then I asked him about how effective it was to make the coaching change. And his face turned a different shade, and it was pretty clear he didn't like that question. Oh, why? But it worked out for him. Oh, I didn't him. like I the know. question. He cashed well, out you know, coaches I mean, I was, and it I worked. guess he felt like I was bringing up negativity at a celebratory moment. I don't oh, know, but God. it didn't go over well. Yeah. I don't think that was used in the package I put together. I, uh, I believe that philosophy was next Murray up. Uh, that we just yeah. went to the next Murray available and put him in there uh, as our coach. Yeah. Well, good yeah. for good for Ted. You know, Ted has been through a lot with this hockey team, and he now has a half banner to hang. In fact, somebody even photoshopped Andy the banners. Uh, someone took a got a picture of the banners that are hanging currently in yeah. the Capital One Arena with all the Capitals, you know, division winning championships and their President's Trophy championships or President's Trophy accomplishments. And the new banner, which is Photoshopped, says, Beat the Penguins. And it just has 2017, yeah. 2018. So there's the virtual banner in our minds. On well, the Tampa did, Bay we did go. Did you know this? I, I didn't know this until we, we were talking about it last weekend that the Capitals did earn a trophy in 1998, which is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. For what? Uh, for making the finals. There's a trophy for that? Oh, Yeah, I didn't Con- know that either. Oh, and yeah. uh, Bill, Bill Bride, who's a big listener to you as well, uh, tweeted me a photo that he had taken when he visited the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it, I forget what it's called, but there is a trophy it's... for making the finals. But, you know, I would like to get to a point as a sports city when those kind of trophies are given – and the reaction is what Bill Belichick does when he wins an AFC championship trophy is he can't get it out of his hands fast enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the Prince of Wales trophy. And it is yeah, Prince of Wales. it is the you know, the conference championship trophy. Uh, they right. don't call it the Wales Conference anymore. Uh, but it's named after the Prince of Wales. And, yeah, well, uh, is that on count- display anywhere as a replica in the uh, Capital One arena? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know why it shouldn't. I mean, if the Redskins win an NFC championship, should they not post that trophy in their case? Do you do you want to put it with the yes. three Lombardis? I don't. Yes. No. You know, you know what? The other ones are there. The other ones are there at Redskins Park. The old NFC championship trophy, which looked like a giant ashtray with the wooden mm-hmm. base and all and the big N in the middle, those are right. there. Like, well, to me, those, about- are, those are, those are, cha- those are sub-championships. Those are conference championships and I think they should be treated as sub championships that you shouldn't be ashamed of. I don't think you should be ashamed of it. But don't but put I the think trophies that in the you case. Should, you you should make the the championship trophies stand alone. There's a you know the, okay. I don't know if they even gave one for the seventy two team that lost to the Dolphins. Did they get a trophy for winning the NFC? I I don't know. I I'd have to look up what year they started giving those out. So yeah. you would put them in a trophy case in your team's building just in a separate trophy case? Right. It, don't, let it, don't let it contaminate the championships. <laughs> okay. So quarantine it, basically. Yeah, yeah. So this was, this was sort of good, but if you want to see great, that's across the concourse. 
Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I thought you I thought you were advocating taking conference championship trophies and literally putting them in storage where nobody ever sees them. I thought you that know, would have been a bit harsh. That 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 was well. You, speaking of that, it reminded me of the story. Do you remember when Ted was spreading a story that he found the championship trophy from the bullets, like in a basement, rusting away, and he rescued it and put it out? Uh, I seem to re- I seem to recall that that you know Ted said, yeah. "Hey, I found like when he took over for your uh, cousin Abe, he said I found yeah. this stuff and it was rotting away, and I'm restoring yeah. the past glory of the franchise." That that's not so, and and Abe was as proud of the championship as anything he ever did in his life, and he had great success in business and wore his championship ring till he died. But he displayed that in the corporate offices at the Capitol Center for many years. I don't know in the early years of the Verizon Center or the MCI where it was, but it was not rusting away in somebody's basement. <laughs> well, it wasn't on display. It's now the 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 Wizards, the Bullets Championship Trophy. The yeah. ugly plain gold that that kind of like the gold on the NBA's trophy is not a classy looking gold. Is it it mm. looks like your typical trophy store finish? Anyway, that trophy, the NBA trophy, the Larry O'Brien trophy, is on display at the Capital One Arena in the mm-hmm. concourse. So it's in the building yep. now. It used to be in the corporate offices, though, and that's why nobody saw it. So Exactly. All right, Andrew, I feel so good today, and that's going to continue for at least one more day or two more days until we meet the Lightning. Godspeed. Let's win this thing this year, huh? What do you say? The whole well, thing. you know, again, my, my bold prediction going into 2018 was that the Capitals would win the Stanley Cup and the Nationals would win the World Series. Uh, three I'm weeks double. ago, I looked really stupid. Right. Now, it's not out of the possibility. Okay, make way for two parades, so we'll put it on the calendar. All right, Andy, thank yes, you, sir. buddy. All right, let's talk some football real quick here. The story of Dwight Clark right now is a very gut-wrenching, sad story. He is suffering from, and it will die probably uh, not long from now, from advanced Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. He is only 61 years old, far too young. Played nine seasons in the NFL and, of course, made one of the most iconic, famous catches in league history, just known as the catch. Dwight Clark, San Francisco 49ers. With all the talk about making the game safer and all the lawsuits about CTE and the emerging research, This story is going to certainly resonate because anecdotes and visceral human interest stories always move people and always, you know, capture people's attention more than cold, hard numbers. The cold, hard numbers about is playing professional football dangerous are those numbers are not supportive of this notion that, oh, my God, if you play in the NFL, you're signing up for a life of misery and you're going to die early and everything else. But nobody likes to hear the numbers. They did a study once, uh, according to some stories, they say that the U.S. life expectancy is 77.6 years, but the average life expectancy for NFL players is 55. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Well, yes, the average life expectancy for men and for women may be 77.6 years, but the average life expectancy of men who played in the NFL versus the general population of men, believe it or not, is slightly higher. 
NFL players live on average, according to the NFL study, to 77 and a half years, whereas the men in the general population live to 74.7. It doesn't mean that football is safe. Of course not. Football is a dangerous as fuck game. It's crazy, actually. And, of course, they are going ahead and trying to now disfigure the kickoff to make the game safer. The whole kickoff thing to me is insane because what you're doing is you're saying a certain play that has lived forever is now suddenly too dangerous. And nobody's said, well, here's why it became dangerous. Here is when it became dangerous. And here's the numbers to back it up. They did have numbers in the NFL about concussion rates on kickoffs. And yeah, it it is guys running full steam at each other to knock the shit out of each other. But guess what? That happens on almost every play. Players running full steam at each other and knocking the shit out of each other. There is a little concept, which I'm sure, because you're smart listeners, a concept that you know about called terminal speed. You know, the speed at which you can't go any faster. Whether Whether you are an object falling from a certain height that reaches a terminal speed due to gravity, or you're a person running on flat ground... The fastest you can run is the fastest you can run. And so on a kickoff, yes, you're running 50, 60 yards and then bam, smashing into somebody head first. But what is your actual speed once you make that collision? I would dare say your speed making that collision at the end of a kickoff is no faster than a linebacker who shoots the gap from 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage and accelerates into the backfield to hit a running back who, bam, is going as fast as he can at that moment in a positive direction. I would be willing to bet that the speeds involved, which is the pure physics of it, and that's all that matters, mass, force equals mass times acceleration, I believe that the numbers would bear me out that say that collision, those collisions that happen all the time, are no more dangerous or no less dangerous than that on a kickoff, where after a 40-yard run, you're a little bit winded. You're kind of a little bit tired. <sighs> okay, i got to hit this guy. Bam! The NFL has already moved away from allowing teams to form a wedge, which used to be a lot of fun to watch, and freaking deadly for guys that would be coming down trying to be a wedge buster. That was insane. They've already gotten rid of that. They're going to get rid of the two-man wedge of any sort, and eventually they're just going to get rid of the kickoff. These changes, though, it has to be reiterated, they only do one thing. They fix, at most, 10 plays in a game. That would be 10 kickoffs in a game. Kickoff to start the game, kickoff for the second half, four kickoffs aside for four scores. On average, I'm just ballparking here uh, per side. So let's say it's 10 plays a game they have fixed. And wait a minute, let's go ahead and reduce that to, let's call it, Five plays. Let's say half of the kickoffs are not returned because they're kicked out of the end zone, which I think is at least the rate, if not greater than 50-50. So they fixed five plays if they'd go through all this. This big symposium, this weekend, the safety panel, new rules, new this, new that. They fixed five plays. Five plays out of, what, in a game, 150 plays in which 11-on-11 contact occurs? That's the stupidity of it. Furthermore, there's other things you can do if you want to keep the game intact and not disfigure it with, well, let's just get rid of kickoffs. Let's make them like punts instead. 
You could impose weight limits on kickoffs. You could do other things to make the kickoff slightly more safe. But again, I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. This is window dressing. The, the kickoff, again, we're five. So you're telling me five plays are now safer, but not totally safe? There's going to be big, walloping, bone rattling hits on punt style kickoffs or whatever disfigured post surgery play the NFL comes up with. There are going to be big hits. There's another idea about making the game less violent and more safe and hopefully producing fewer cases of Dwight Clark and others who may be suffering from ALS or CTE or anything else from, you know, having their brains bashed in in a violent contact game for a prolonged period of time. Another radical idea, which I know you're going to hate, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Why not a career limit in the NFL? Yeah, I said it. Why not a 10-year, let's just say 10 years, 10-year career limit in the NFL? Meaning, 10th year, you're done. But that's not fair. I mean, Tom Brady's going to play until he's 50, and then we'd be depriving the world of Tom. Yeah. Yeah, we would be forcing Tom Brady to retire. We would be coming up on Tom Brady's 10th season, it would, and everyone would know for sure that this is it. This is his last season. He's got to win. But guess what? The rules are this way for everybody. And guess what? This is the way the NFL is going to be going forward. You get 10 years, and that's it. You're out. You're done. That'd be somebody else. Too dangerous. Junior Seau, which is a very sad case. Junior Seau had a lot going on in life. He's taking a lot of pills for a lot of pain, a lot of alcohol involved as well. But guess what? He also played a million years, which was never fucking recommended. Never. Not by anybody. Hey, is playing football good for you this deep into your career, this late, close to... No, no, it's not good at all. So you could put an age, you could put a uh, age limit or just a season limit on players. Say ten years, and if you say, "But I really like Aaron Rodgers, and it sucks that he could have still played past thirty-eight. Uh, well, ten years would only be twenty-two to thirty-two, but you get my point. He could have won a championship. Well, yeah, he could have, but he didn't. And guess what? There's a new quarterback. Remember, these games are all just for fun, right? Yeah, well, I get fun out of watching Rodgers. Yeah, well. These days are over. You're going to watch fun for 10 years. Teams will readjust once they draft quarterbacks to go, you know, we don't have two years to let them sit on the bench. We're going to play this guy right away. You could also do this. You could limit the number of games players play in a season to 14 games, let's say, arbitrarily. 14 games. Two games, mandatory sit-outs for everybody. Oh, that would suck, man. My fantasy team would be hard to manage. Yeah, okay. But think of it this way. It adds another level of strategy. Who's going to sit when and why? And coaches have to. And coaches would hate it, of course, because they're going to have to manage who's going to sit. But this would essentially allow teams to give their own roster sort of bye weeks to go. You know what? We're going to sit. Uh, we're going to sit uh, Trent Williams this week because his ankle's not right. And besides, we've got two mandatory sitouts with him. It's week thirteen already, and uh, this is the right time to do it. You could easily do that, and would. Would you really hate it that much if certain guys weren't playing on a week-to-week basis based on mandatory sit-outs when healthy? No, I don't think you'd miss it at all because guys miss time already with real injuries that they really can't play with every single week. 
And then the biggest thing to make football safer would be weight limits. Literal weight limits like wrestling at certain positions. You would dial down the mass element of the collision equation, force equals mass times acceleration. You can't, you can't restrict acceleration. You can't tell people, hey, slow down. But you absolutely can restrict the mass. You can absolutely impose weight limits. And it would be doable. Would it be an administrative challenge? Of course. But it's totally doable. Weigh-ins on Friday for linemen. Linemen can only be 285. Boom, that's it. But wait, I'm naturally big boned and I'm six foot six. Get down to 285. Hey man, I wanted to play, you know, wide receiver, but I'm 245 pounds and the limit on wide outs is 215 or 220 or whatever the number is. Hey, guess what? You might have to play tight end. Sorry. Or get skinnier. Get lighter. Lighter is the name of the game. You could do that if you wanted to be that radical. But they don't really want to be that radical, I don't think, the NFL. They just want to put some lipstick on a pig. And so if the kickoff, which is only 10 plays a game, if they can disfigure that with some horrible, bad plastic surgery to make it look like a pun, they're probably going to do that instead. Orlando Franklin retired, former offensive lineman for the Broncos, Chargers, and Redskins. He was a Redskin for one game this past year. Retired after uh, seven years, I believe. Seven years? 89 starts, said he wants to be a better father. Good for him. Nothing wrong with a seven-year NFL career. Godspeed, Orlando Franklin. Johnny Depp. Man, oh man, can he spend money. This story has been out there a couple of places. I saw it pop up again. VanityFair.com writes that during a meeting with Depp and his advisors, Depp appeared to be in shock. After all, he's being paid up to $20 million per movie. How could he possibly be so strapped for cash that his former business manager, Joel Mandel, told him it was necessary to sell major assets like his chateau on the French Riviera? (laughs) Dressed in his trademark quasi-pirate attire, heavily pinned leather jacket, and assemblage of scarves, bangles, rings, and tattoos, Plus, rolling his own smokes, Depp told Waldman, quote, I'm not a lawyer, babe. I'm not an accountant. I'm not qualified to help my 15-year-old son with his math homework. I've always trusted the people around me. Well, that's the first sign of a financial feeding frenzy. Oh, yeah, just trust the people around you. According to accountants, they have found anomalies in the, ha- in the handling of Depp's finances by his former business managers, including Robert and Joel Mandel, their firm, TMG. Waldman would later charge including late payment of income tax and dispersing nearly $10 million to third parties, including Depp's sister, uh, who were close to or worked for Mr. Depp without Mr. Depp's knowledge or authorization. These transgressions and others caused Depp to borrow tens of millions of dollars at high interest rates with his film residuals as collateral for the loans. Of course, these charges were vigorously denied by both the Mandels and TMG, which called them fabricated and replete with demonstrably false allegations. Then, after another team of lawyers and accountants came in and sifted through 24,000 emails, Depp's attorneys filed a scathing lawsuit against TMG, seeking 25 mil in damages for negligence, fraud, unjust enrichment, and breach of fiduciary duty. 18 days later, TMG responded with their own 31-page 
blistering cross-complaint claiming Depp was a spendthrift of epic proportions who, despite his manager's constant warnings, refused to curb his selfish, reckless, and irresponsible lifestyle. Wow. This one is going to be a hell of a fight. Johnny Depp made $650 million, they estimate, in the last 20 years only. 20 years, I believe it is. Actually, 17 years, $650 million. Where's the money? It's all gone. Thank you to a reader for finding me this story. The Wall Street Journal has a story on fancy sweatpants. Yes! You've heard me talk for a while now about my favorite pair of sweatpants made by Under Armour, which cost $99, which was seen as a luxury by some. Although I said it was worth every penny. That they look good, you can wear them out casually around town, comfortable, breathable, so you can wear them indoors when it's not super cold in the winter. They were kind of an all-season sweatpant, except for the dead of summer. Well, the Wall Street Journal has done a story on whether or not you can get away with wearing fancy sweatpants out on the town. This story by Jacob Gallagher, he writes, The world of men's trousers has been, as the Silicon Valley folks say, disrupted. Designers are playing with Dr. Frankenstein, playing Dr. Frankenstein, combining elements of classic dress slacks with athleisure comfort. Get that athletic leisure, athleisure comfort to make unfamiliar styles. This luxury loungewear reflects on our flexible times with work from homers, forcing menswear codes to evolve. It lightens the load. It's easier. It's more comfortable, said Kevin Carney, the co-owner and chief of Mohawk General Store, a L.A. boutique. Mr. Carney estimates that 80% of the trousers he's stocking this season, including pieces from Japanese designer Junyo Watanabe, Watanabe and Italian house Idos, trade a traditional belt-looped waist for a drawstring or elastic one. Yes! Fancy sweatpants have arrived! <laughs> Sorry about that. Of course, I then scrolled down to the three pairs of pants the Wall Street Journal and their fashion reviewer took a look at, and oh my God, are you kidding me? Good God! Look at the prices. Nanamika joggers, $270. Berena Venezia joggers, $365. And the cheapest of them are Lululemon joggers for men, $100. And $28. All of them, by the way, have dangly drawstrings in the front, which you really can't have. Unlike my Under Armors, they don't have the drawstrings coming out the front. The drawstrings are tucked into the waistband. Bottom line is this. I still love my sweatpants, but they're evil. They're evil because sweatpants allow you to get fat and to stay fat. And that if you're in shape, and I know when I was more trim and close to 200 pounds and not the disgusting 235 I am now then I could wear any pants, and I felt comfortable. And I would imagine that's pretty much the same for you if you have gotten yourself in shape. Your pants will feel good, and they will fit if you just push away from the buffet. Or you can buy a $365 pair of sweats. And lastly, I can't even believe I have to announce this, but absolutely tragic Twitter news. The Twitter feed... At back after this, the fan website, the fan Twitter feed, the fan account of one Mike Francesa has essentially been shut down. 
This is the guy who's been posting all the clips of Mike Francesa famously stepping on rakes and boing, being wrong about stuff. Some asshat tattled on him to Twitter and said, he's posting copyrighted stuff. Uh, I don't, I've never met the guy who runs the account. He has tweeted me back and forth a couple times saying his thanks. I screamed yesterday when I saw this last night. I said, no, no. This is like Michael Scott when Toby came back to the office. I couldn't believe it. And, and I went to go click on some of the links I included in the Daily Zabe about, hey, look at this. Look at this bad prediction that Francesa made. Boom, page no longer available. Pour one out. Requiem for a wonderful, wonderful account. I don't know if it'll ever come back. I don't know what's going to happen to all the media that's been collected over the years. This poor guy, he has been collecting Mike Francesa bites and clips and quotes forever now. And for me, now Mike Francesa just sort of slips back beneath the murky surface of the Hudson River, bound again to irrelevance beyond the shores of New York City, where he is, of course, a very big deal and paid a whole lot of money. The rest of the country, I don't think they really give a shit. Except for when we can find a clip that's really funny of him being spectacular, spectacularly and blowhardly wrong. Is that even a word? Blowhardly? I have no idea. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and tell the therapist. Leave a positive review. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets. And as they said in the movie Airplane, surely you can't be serious. I am. And don't call me Shirley. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.